You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode nine of the Future Projection Podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined as always by Ben Badler. Ben, how are you doing up there in Massachusetts, man? All is good, Carlos. All is good. Feels like we're like right into the crunch of draft season. All the all the colleges are in the thick of it. High schools are playing like some of the high schools that haven't started up or are just getting started too. And I, I feel like I can I can like just barely taste the minor league seasons like right within our our grasp. We got the <laughs> Teams like teams are playing at the alternate sites and and or they're down in Arizona and they're playing some, you know, exhibition games or whatever you want to call it. It feels like it's it's so close. It feels like we're so close to having uh, just everything that we do at, at BA coming back. Yeah, I feel like pretty much since we started this podcast, you have been kind of anticipating the minor league season, and I, I can just tell in your tone every week we're getting closer and closer. We just finish sending the minor league preview of our magazine. I'm really excited about the cover for this magazine. I don't know if anyone's put it out there yet. Uh, I don't know if it's been tweeted out or anything like that. So I don't want to spoil it, um, but I'm really excited for this next cover that we have. And like you said, I think actually the next time we record a podcast, no, we'll probably get one more podcast in before the minor league season starts, right? Yeah, I think we'll get We'll get one more in, but yeah, that is a, that is a, like a blow it up and put it on your wall type cover that we yeah. have. And, and every time that issue comes, I guess the last this year and last year, the schedule has been thrown off. So maybe it's a little bit different, but when we're sending that issue, it just always feels like everything is kind of here now. Um, but that'll be exciting when it finally happens. I've got minor league baseball near me. It's getting a warm out actually. So I've been outside more. So that's been nice. Uh, but it does feel like everything is kind of opening up a little bit more. Um, I'm halfway to being fully vaccinated, so that'll be nice as well. Uh, have you got both ears actually at this point? Are you are you good to go? I will get. I scheduled my second dose. I will get my second dose soon. And I I originally scheduled it for. They they only had like a few slots available for for the date they wanted me to do it. And so I picked like a mid afternoon because that's all they had. But then I 
realized Joshua Baez has a double header that day. So I kept checking the website and I was able to reschedule it for in, like an early morning one. So I could go see, <laughs> go see the double header after. And then I was thinking, you know, I'm reading all, you know, people getting hit with the side effects of the second dose. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I don't like keel over or break into chills or a sweat. <laughs> at yeah. The, I have uh, at the second game, hopefully it comes 24 hours later. If it, if it hits me. Yeah, I've got mine scheduled for May 5th. And then after that, I hopefully will be talking as excitedly as you have been about seeing guys in person. But on bias, we already have a preseason report that I wrote of him. But I think at this point, it would be a crime if you were not the person who wrote the Joshua Baez report for our draft rankings. Because I just feel like if there's anyone in the country, or honestly, at this point, anyone in the world who knows Joshua Baez, it's going to be you, Ben. So congrats on being able to see pretty much everything he does this spring. It is, and it's it's nice, too, to get – I mean, I'm seeing all the scouts, too, who are coming in. Plus, obviously, like, like Sal Freelich and BC. It's it's a good – it's, you know, like you've written about a million times, it's it's an all-time kind of year for mm-hmm. for us up here in the Northeast for, for the draft. Yeah, and even outside of the top prospects in the Northeast, there are guys, some depth players, uh, some players who are – legitimate pop-ups like we recently co-wrote a piece with uh just kind of diving into 12 performers and pop-up players this spring and one of the guys you mentioned um i'm not going to spoil it on the podcast we'll save it for subscribers but you saw a really impressive high school pitcher up in the northeast who i remember when you you called me about him actually i think and i don't remember hearing about his name at all really um but he looks legit. The stuff looks awesome. The breaking ball looks really impressive. And there's a crowd of scouts out there to watch him. So if you, if you want that draft dope, we have that pop-up piece on the site right now. I think it's in the headline stack on our website, but either way, if you go to our website and just click draft, you can find all of that. Um, all those reports, Ben did a really nice job writing that guy up, but yeah, Carlos says we co-wrote that story. What what Carlos means is uh, he wrote up 11 guys and I wrote up one player who I saw. Well, it's it's more impressive on your end because you saw the guy in person and I was just kind of sitting at my desk uh, doing mine based on reporting and based on video and based on analytics. So we've got the old school scouting methodology with you and then we've got the new wave of uh, baseball nerds with me represented in this piece. So kind of the best of both worlds but i know that's kind of what we wanted to talk about in today's conversation um we'd mentioned at least in our our show notes and kind of just the stuff we want to go over talking about evaluating players on video versus in person because i feel like for many teams video is nothing new it's not like this is new ground here but i feel like with covid last year we saw a lot, a lot of teams much more reliant on video and scouting through video because there were no games happening. And so to supplement coverage, you basically only had old videos to go over and really bear down on and perhaps uh, video that players or advisors would send you of, of guys in bullpen sessions or their swings. Um, so player evaluation through video versus in-person scouting is is a much more interesting conversation to have now because I know I've talked with a ton of scouts this year. I know you've talked with scouts this year who are just doing that more frequently than they ever have. Uh, so I guess, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, just the other day we were able to watch 
Chase Petty's start for his high school team uh, in New Jersey. And all of us on staff were basically watching this video, um, sitting around in our offices or in our homes, watching a pretty professional quality broadcast of a high school prospect in a fairly normal high school game. And it's not like Chase Petty is at some powerhouse program like an IMG Academy where you maybe wouldn't be surprised um, by that video just being out there. But the fact that we were able to do that is pretty wild to think about. Um, but I guess I'm just curious about your general thoughts on, on video evaluations and whether you are, I guess, excited about them. Cause I know I talked to a lot of scouts who aren't too excited about video just cause they want to be at a field. That's why they got into scouting in the first place. Uh, but I've been rambling for a while here, so I'll just throw it to you and get your general yeah, thoughts. Yeah, well, the Chase Petty video was like, that was like a AAA broadcast quality video. That was pretty legit. And and so shout out to to them. That was pretty awesome. To... And also, you guys, it's not like it's something that we were just sent. It's on YouTube. So if you, if you guys are listening and you've heard us talk about Chase Petty or you just want to see a high school kid who's throwing 100 in game, um, we could probably put the link in the show too. notes somewhere. Um, so I'll make sure that's included. If you guys want to, you can check it out. But it is yeah. it is publicly also, available. Also, shout out to the kid that he hit in the head with a fastball who just like walked out of the box, yes. shook it off, and sprinted over to first base. Yeah, that was one of those adrenaline. Like, I just got hit in the face. That he didn't scary. get actually hit in the face. He had a ch- – I think – Honestly, so the player has a chin strap helmet. It kind of comes around and covers the front of the mouth. And I think if he didn't have that, he, he takes that pitch squarely in the jaw. But he gets hit. Like you said, he kind of turn around, turns around, realizes that he's, in fact, alive and conscious, and then kind of sprints down the line, which was is funny to watch after you realize he's okay. But there was also another player in that game who gets hit by a pitch and strikes out. <laughs> Which yeah, you don't that was a rough one. When, when you get hit by a Chase Petty, yeah. By the way, like I mean, I think most people know this, but just in case, like Chase Petty, basically sits ninety-five to a hundred and can touch one hundred and two. This is a high school pitcher out of New Jersey. Yeah, so he 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 hit a kid with a fastball, but it was like coming in on him, and he had already kind of committed to swing. That <laughs> he got it. I, I I thought it was kind of like he was. He was trying to react to the pitch and saw it was coming towards him and then was trying to defend himself with the bat. Yeah, I legitimately got that sort of <laughs> probably a better description. And honestly, I don't blame that kid at all. I can't imagine like Oh, I'd be I standing guess we can get so back far at the at the edge of the batter's box. <laughs> wouldn't be anywhere near him. And I almost feel like this Chase Petty outing was like the last the absolute last sort of player type you would ever want to step into a box against because not only does he throw 102, like you were saying, and I believe on the broadcast, I don't have any confirmed velos. I, I think I do, but on the broadcast, they said he touched 104 times, I believe at one point. Yeah. He's pretty um, mid, uh, mid to upper nineties, most of the game. Yeah. But if you just imagine yourself in high school and not every player on these teams are going to play in college ball. So just imagine maybe you listening right now, you played high school baseball and you're very self-aware of what your skill set was. But imagine facing a guy like Petty who's throwing that hard with a real slider, by the way. And you've seen the slider and it probably buckled your knees the first time you saw it. 
And so now if the ball is coming at your hip, you have no clue. You probably have never seen stuff this good before. And it's like, oh, one of your first games of the season, like, and Petty was is not exactly a command artist. He was no. There really were a few pitchers going there. going so into the batter's the worst, box both sides. That is the worst kind of pitcher that I would want to have to step into the box for. A guy who throws that hard and doesn't always exactly know where it's going. So, I mean, credit to all the kids that are just standing in there and and watching him watching him strike them out. But, wasn't that wasn't that your game in in high school, Carlos? When would you not yeah. step into a a Chase Petty fastball is, for the team? Actually, I think I was maybe one of the only people who uh who who kind of leaned into a pitch to win a game for the Mets. Oh, Michael Conforto. Yeah, yeah. So I was <laughs> I was very adamant that that what he was doing was not only okay but like a positive thing. Oh um, no. I I mean his team was thrilled about it. He won them the game. He did his job. It's I think it's on the ump to call that pitch a strike. Oh, the like, ump should have called that. Yeah. 100%. But yeah, I, it's funny cuz my my stats from high school are still on max preps and I remember at the time in high school I got hit p- with pitches constantly and I was never facing anyone who threw in the 90s, <laughs> let alone most of our pitchers were not throwing in like the upper 80s. So I was, I was not a very good high school hitter. I was just trying to get on base and steal bases. So if anything was coming at me, I would either just stand there and let it hit me or kind of tuck the shoulder. Like, you know, the act, like you're turning away from the ball, but really you're just trying to like get more in the way of it. And I think my rate who, who leads, who has like the highest rate of hit by pitches. We were talking about this offline in the slack a while ago. I don't remember now. But right I was now, like a, a percentage. Victor Robles, when he's healthy, has got to No, I mean all time. Oh, all time. I was like a percentage point off of the uh, off of the all-time hit-by-pitch rate, which I was pretty excited about. But I'm sure there are plenty of kids in high school who get hit by pitches a ton because, you know, high school pitching is not always the greatest. So, <laughs> um, But no, but yeah, yeah no shame for taking a, a ball on the back of the shoulder and trying down to first, man. You're helping your team win. You know, it's uh, yeah, well, yeah, the, the Chase Petty broadcast was definitely an aberration, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think look, I, I think COVID sort of accelerated all, all, all of the reliance that teams are using now for for video for scouting on video, both both for major league clubs and for college teams who are are recruiting. I mean, they, they college coaches couldn't go out and, and see players in person. That's a pretty, (laughs) pretty big uh, obstacle toward trying to recruit players. And Mm -hmm. remember colleges now are are recruiting players who are, you know, 16, 15, 14, even younger, sometimes years old. So, (laughs) you know, you're, you're not getting the best, video on on those guys but but i i think yeah the even for a lot of young guys who are going to like national tournaments like the perfect games and the pbrs of the world like i feel like a lot of these kids have really good video from a young age if they're going to those tournaments yeah yeah if they're if they're at those big events for sure maybe less so in a high school season if that's what you're talking about but definitely in summer in the summer these kids are getting like pretty similar video to what the current seniors or rising seniors are getting. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it, I mean, it, it, 
it it massively depends on the quality of the stream mm-hmm. that you're getting or, or the quality of video that somebody is yeah shooting and setting to you i'm sure seen way too many videos sent to us or or just posted other places that are shot with from you know uh you know a a cell phone camera from like 50 yards away where the camera is focusing Mm -hmm. on the chain link fence (laughs) in front of you and there's like this little ant of a player on the screen and it looks like it was shot on like the iphone 2 (laughs) (laughs) and it's you know but but I I mean I I think the bit for you know for major league clubs just the the quality and proliferation of college broadcasts now not just for like the big SEC programs but down to like the mid major conferences for Division One baseball are, are all over you know ESPN Plus pretty good quality broadcast feeds that you can get mm-hmm. for for these college players for pretty much every game yep. that they play and if you know obviously like you know even you know a few years ago um you know w- one of the major drawbacks of just using video was you didn't have access to you know to even just like reliable pitch velocity well now they have access if, if you're not at a college game and, and you're a club and you're just watching a guy on video you have access to all of his track man data too as well as the video it's easy to slice it up and and you know get all of the the data for for a pitcher for that game without ever having to leave your house <laughs> i mean i i think the the that that teams for for scouting college players now it it seems like they're they're very heavily reliant on on video now if you know if i go to a college game i'll still see scouts there the in-person evaluation is a big component of it too but it it does seem like a much thinner crowd at college games now compared to in the past, whereas high school games that, that seems to be, and, and just also from talking to scouts about, you know, the games that they're going to, it seems like there's a much heavier focus now on, on them going to be able to see high school players, because like you said, yeah. All right. If you're going to, you know, watch like the perfect game, all America game or, um, you know, or some other, you know, very, very big high school showcase stuff, you know, if USA baseball puts on something, maybe um, you're, you know, you're not getting video <laughs> on, on, you know, of, or you're not getting a stream yeah. with, you know, with the, you know, the occasional like chase petty type of, of exception. Yeah. You're not getting, you're not getting that broadcast quality video. You're not getting multiple angles. You're not getting the track man, suite of data to go along with the high school game where you could for for most of the bigger colleges now and even like you said trickling down into some of the non-power conferences and non-division one schools as well i'm very interested to see if this is just the new norm or if we are still kind of in a post-covid environment where again 
teams are still behaving a little bit differently because there wasn't as much of an evaluation period in the summer, but I think I kind of agree with you more and more scouts that I talk to. Um, and I think this is probably like, it has to do with the timing of the season. I know there are a lot of scouts in, in different areas that really bear down on the college priority guys early on and to get all of their looks in on those guys and then kind of pivot over to the high school players once the high school season starts. And then after they've hit off, all their priority high school players, maybe they'll circle back um, for some college players that are uh, going to be priority targets for their teams based on kind of how the draft class is shaping up. Um, but I don't think it really can be questioned at this point that it is because it's so much easier to supplement your evaluation on the college end with video and with the video tools that teams have, it really only makes sense to, to spend your time the limited time that your scouts have in person tracking down all these high school players. And maybe that leads to competitive advantages in the draft. If you're a team that is really aggressive on looking at high school players and not just the top high school players in the class, not just the, the Chase Petties and the Joshua Baez of the world, but the players like uh, the pitcher that you mentioned in our, in our draft notebook who really, I don't know how much the scouting community knew this player beforehand, clearly enough to have a decent crowd out there to see him. Um, but if you're a team that can really put your resources in finding who these unknown high school players are, or maybe a player who um, wasn't at a, at a showcase on the showcase circuit at all, like an Evan Carter type who teams really didn't know about, if you can go put eyes on those players Maybe that's where teams find their competitive advantage in the draft now. Um, because if you're not seeing Sal Frelick or if you're not seeing Luca Tresh at North Carolina State every week, you have the ability to go through and see every one of his at-bats and every one of the pitches that he's caught throughout a season when you're in the hotel or when you're back home, not on the road traveling. And I feel like, and we can get into this later, but but for yeah, I, I guess I'll kind of just leave it there and throw it to you. Well, or say, or or not only you, like let's like let's say you're like the area scout in the Carolinas. Like, yeah. not only can you see every bat of Luca Trash and the shortstop Jose Torres or or whoever else on that club. I mean, like every scout or every person in your organization can can go through and see every at bat that he takes so you know your 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 you know your regional cross checkers your national cross checker your your scouting director your assistant scouting director you know your your all your different special assistants you know you, you can have 15 people watch one college player w without ever having to set foot in the stadium or you know even put pants on and leave your house. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're, if you're an area scout and, and you have seven days in the week, well, I think everyone does um, <laughs> seven days in the week. Right. But all right. Look like the, the college games are, are mostly what Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you have a midweek game. So you have seven days in the week and you have a whole bunch of high school players in your area that you want to see that you really need to some of them you, you really want to bear down on and, and see a lot if they're going to go high 
in the draft potentially, and, and your organization is really in on some of these guys and you think you really will draft them. And then, like you said, there's other guys who just pop up throughout the year who, you know, you, you can have a 17, 18 year old kid go from touching, you know, 92 to touching 95, 96. Oh, that's suddenly a real interesting guy, but you've got to be out there and, and stay and seeing a player and, and staying on that guy to, to be there for when it happens and hope other people are, are not there mm-hmm. when it happens. So if, if you only have a certain, you know, you only have a certain number of, you know, days in the week and, and you can't be everywhere at once. So I, I think teams are saying, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's make sure we focus on, on these high school guys and not miss on them. And then we can rely more on video to evaluate these college guys and get a whole bunch of different opinions from a whole bunch of different people within our organization who can watch these guys on video. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is really interesting with just some of the video tools, like I remember talking with scouts last year about how useful synergy was for them. One of the, the most useful things. And for those who don't know about synergy, they have a basketball product as well. I think they became first popular for, doing basketball video and kind of tracking player movement. Um, but now like I would imagine every team in the country has synergy uh, and that gives them access to all kinds of college video primarily. Um, but the ability to kind of focus in on certain areas of prospect evaluation uh, and answer questions that you might have, like if you have a player who routinely struggles in some certain area, the, the ability to filter that video and kind of dive into specifically those examples of what you want to look at and try and find out the why, uh, why is a player uh, doing something really well or, or struggling in a certain area and being able to get those reps of video, uh, I feel like is, is going to be hard to replace moving forward because there's just something that... Like, let's say you wanted to see how a hitter handled breaking balls from a left-handed pitcher. The ability to kind of just pull out all of those examples that you have in video and really bear down on that is is difficult to kind of explain how valuable that is. Or if you really want to get a great feel for a player defensively, being able to pull out all of his chances Uh, that you have on video in the field and watch them. Because if you go to a player in a game and and you know this and everyone who's listening knows this, there's a chance you're not going to get anything hit towards you all game. Or if you do, maybe it's just routine uh, ground outs or routine fly balls. And you could go into a game trying to really bear down a player defensively. Well, you get in and out and you get the pregame stuff and that can be useful um, but you can't replicate those in-game live looks. And if you can all of a sudden just pull up all of those um, videos of a player playing defense, I feel like that really can explain or, or can help scouts fill in these little details about a player and also probably feel like they know a player more than if they had watched him 10 times live during a season because there's just so much that that happens that you're not always going to see live in the games that you happen to be in the park. Yeah. I've always thought like in the pro scouting process too, when you're, you know, if, if you're a 
a team and you have pro scouts who are going out to cover certain organizations. Like if I'm a pro scout for the Red Sox, I might have, you know, three or four different organizations that I'm seeing throughout the minor league season. Well, you'll go down in spring training, you'll see them there. And during the season, you'll go around to try to hit up the different minor league affiliates for all these clubs and, and try to see guys for for a series. And it'll be a little bit different this year because the series are are longer now for each each minor league series. But still, you're you know, you're getting a series here, a series there. You know, maybe you're seeing a guy 10 games during the year and and you're missing the other 130 games <laughs> that they're playing. Yep. So yeah, I'm not saying you have to be at all 140 games of they're a literally minor impossible. League. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, like there, there there is a point of diminishing returns. But yeah, I mean it just there there's so much there's so much that you don't see if you're only going in and being able to see a guy a handful of games here and there and trying to make judgments and and decisions on players because again it's from you know late january or february up until the draft in in july there's just only so many places you can be at once as as an individual or or even as an organization um so yeah, having having such a complete library of of video access to be able to scout these guys is just something that didn't exist five ten years ago, and and I think is a a, a massive difference mm-hmm. for evaluating college players. And, and if you look like most of the most of the streams that you know I'm watching of um of of games even you know the atlantic 10 you know i'm just doing northeast coverage just seeing them streaming on espn plus it's a good quality Hmm. broadcast i i I mean it's there there are things that you can't pick up just from video but again there's Hmm. also a lot of things that you can go back and check (laughs) and pick up that you can't necessarily get just being live mm-hmm. at the ballpark, if that's all you're getting either. But I mean, if I'm, if I'm watching a, a pitcher, I can, I can see the, you know, the way his fastball moves. I can see, you know, the action on his, on his curveball on his slider, the way his, his changeup moves. I, I can see his fastball command. I can see his delivery. I can see the way he, you know, attacks and, and sets up hitters. I feel like if, you know, there are probably some like very, there are probably some like real small, very small colleges where there are broadcasts where the camera is like, you know, we all love the off center behind the plate camera angle. Like, yeah, but like shot from like third base practically. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all right, well, I'm, I'm not getting a lot out of this one. And all right. So there's, there's stuff here and there where all right you really need to be in person for that one but for for the most part you know if you're, if you're there to see a pitcher a lot of it you can get most of the way if, if not more from seeing a guy on on video now and and for hitters too again you can see you can see a guy's swing you can see you, you can see you know obviously 
it in game power that the power that he happens to be showing in game you can see is his approach his his ability to control the strike zone what pitches he's swinging at if he's if he's able to lay off breaking balls um, you know i i do like being i do like being alive at the park for hitters mm-hmm. almost more so for what happens before the game yeah. what actually happens in I game. wanted I wanted to talk about since we've kind of talked about a lot of the benefits of video I wanted to talk about some of the things that that you think you can't get from video because while while there are certainly a lot of benefits from that it would be probably irresponsible of us to talk ad nauseum about all of the positives without talking about maybe some of the negatives that come with being more reliant on video because I talk with a lot of scouts who are having to do more video coverage and they do talk about some of the things that you just can't evaluate without being there in person. A lot of the, um, whether that's like makeup stuff in the dugout or in between at bass or just seeing players, um, their, their body, um, kind of the emotions they're, they're showing you through their body language, what they do pre-pitch, but what are some of the things, um, that you believe you can't really replicate with video and you kind of need to be at the park for you were mentioning hitters. Yeah, I think for hitters, you can get a lot from what happens before the game. Now, I think games are king. They're, you know, especially the lower down you go, like, you know, just international scouting. You see this all the time where a player looks really good before the game in like a workout setting, goods, looks, you know, really athletic body. Runs we a good we have those guys on, on the domestic side as well. Those showcase ponies. Oh yeah. No, no, it's not <laughs> certainly not limited, but just, <laughs> I, I think it's more the younger you get the, the, the bigger discrepancy. Sometimes you see between the kind of the raw tools or, or what looks like a, even, you know, like a, a, the swing that a hitter takes in BP I got just especially for seeing so many of these young international players who are 15, 16 mm-hmm. years old, the swing that they take in BP when they're, you know, the coach who's always throwing them BP is grooving it into them. And it's easy to be in sync and on time when somebody's throwing you a, a straight BP pitch. Yeah. I was <laughs> a much is, better BP hitter than in game hitter for sure. Yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> yeah. Then, then it is when, Oh, all of a sudden I have to be ready for, different speeds and different types of pitches and different locations. And uh, the, the swings, the, those nice swings in BP tend to come unglued in games sometimes, but I, I, I do. Yeah, I do. I do like being there alive for hitters to be able to, again, yeah. Like you said, to, to see them take, to, to see them take batting practice is good to, cause you can get different angles. Like, yeah. Like you might, get lucky on some nice replays usually if a hitter does something good that's when they'll they might show a side angle replay uh like an open side uh replay of the hitter's swing but in bp you can get a pretty good feel for um for a hitter's swing or, or at least his a swing in bp stand on the open side watch him from there get a get a feel for that you also get a feel for his raw power too. That again, like you, you see a guy in games, and he might not, you know, he might not show you what his true raw power 
is in in that game. I mean, and, and, yeah. and there are hitters too who look like like yeah, like there's obviously certain guys where you can just look at the numbers and see like oh like this guy has like a you know a 300 ISO in <laughs> all right like it's pretty clear this guy has big raw power and and you can see some video too of of big home runs that he said but there's other guys who have big raw power that you know might show up in BP but doesn't translate even yeah. in in game like we've talked about I Garrett promise Mitchell I don't want to use before. Garrett Mitchell for everything <laughs> to explain stuff or to use as an example but Garrett Mitchell is like the first guy that came up to me and, and after Garrett Mitchell it would have been Reese Hines and I feel like both of those players are players who have really, really loud raw power and neither of them had that power translate into games for two very different reasons. So yeah, you, you, your point is, is a good one. I think. And you can, yeah. So you, you can see raw power. You can see, you know, most guys will take a BP where they'll try to, you know, they'll hit the ball the opposite way first round or first couple rounds and then work their way over. So you can see, all right, you know, when a guy is trying to hit the ball the opposite field, can he do that easily, or or is he just hitting a bunch of foul balls and or, or ground balls even to to the opposite side? Is he struggle going that way? So you, you can tell different things from batting practice, and then you get you get infield too. Like teams will take teams will take like you said in and out, which is infield and outfield. So guys will throw from the outfield to you know, you can see him throw to the third base and, and home plate. So you get a sense for an outfielder's arm strength, you know, in, in college they might not be airing it out every time. They'll probably just be putting it more um, on the bag going for, for accuracy. But, you know, if, if you're there enough, you can get a sense for a player's arm strength that you, you know, you might get a competitive throw from him in a game if you're lucky probably not <laughs> in a three game series or, or even if you're seeing him over a couple series, you might not get a competitive throw. And, and if you do, it might not be his, his, you know, his best throw even. So, so I think that's helpful and, and seeing infield practice too. It's again, like you said, there, are, I just saw Jose Torres for NC state, who's arguably the best Certainly in the conversation for being among the best defensive yeah. shortstops. If you asked me who the best defensive shortstop in the class would be, he'd probably be the guy that I pointed to. And I think pretty much everyone I've talked to in the area thinks he's the best shortstop in their area. And then national guys point to Jose Torres. I think he won the best defensive shortstop in the class on our preseason scouting poll. So I feel like it's pretty safe to say he's the best defensive yeah. shortstop. So I, I got pretty fortunate in that he had – there wasn't anything super spectacular that I saw him make, but he, he got enough opportunities there in game where I felt pretty good about his defensive ability, his, his internal clock, the way his feet moved, his, the, the quickness of his hands, um, the, the, the decision-making, the ability to read. Well, the ability to read hot it is on turf, so it <laughs> <laughs> was a bit of a, a confounding variable there, but mm. he, he, but 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 also just watching him take infield for uh I think I got him two or three days taking infield, but just that really that really stood out. You can not just for him, but you just just generally getting a sense of 
watching a guy take infield, you can get a good sense of how uh, how his hands work, how his feet work, um, you know, his his transfer, his arm strength, his his arm action, that kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot of things in for I think for position players pregame that you get, and and to some extent in game too. You can, again, well, you can go was, out on the side and, and see hitters from that angle too. But I think especially pregame is, is super useful for, for I me. was going to say, I had mentioned that it, it can be valuable to have a lot of video of players making defensive plays, but I also think being there in person to see how defenders react to the ball off the bat is really mm-hmm. invaluable. And a lot of the times you're not getting that on video just because on broadcasts, generally the the camera is following the ball and following the action. So especially for like outfield jumps and first steps and, and initial routes and um, just like quickness um, off the bat and how they read the ball, I feel like it's probably very hard to get that specific video unless you're like a team setting up at an event, getting angles to make sure you can record that. But for like a general broadcast, it's going to be very difficult to get that, especially for corner corner outfielders, maybe even corner infielders who aren't going to be on screen from like a behind the plate camera angle. Um, yeah. So I know ESPN, that. ESPN is not setting up their broadcast. So you can see Judd Fabian's <laughs> breaks off the bat. They're doing it for exactly. You know, and you might, Gators you might be able to see Judd Fabian standing in the background, get his break off the bat, but you're not going to see Jacob young or uh, who, who's standing in left field. Um, you're not going to see his break and you're not going to see players just generally reacting off the ball. And so, especially for outfielders, I mean, their, their first step and their initial route off the bat is so important to their defensive evaluation. Uh, it's really hard to replicate that not being off the field or at the field. Um, and another kind of in-game evaluation that that you really can't get from video is a lot of makeup stuff and i'm curious to what extent you find that valuable but again i talk with scouts all the time who are very interested to see how players um are reacting just with their teammate teammates in the dugout how they react after a strikeout or after they've done something that's not great on the field how are they reacting in the dugout are they uh, very energetic team teammates. Are they hyping people up? Are they more kind of low key passive players who are very collected and calm and don't get too high and get too low? Uh, are they players who really take um, their failures with them to the dugout or take their failures with them to the field? I talk to a lot of scouts who find a lot of that information super valuable. Um, I'm curious what you think about those sorts of uh, intangible evaluations that you maybe can't see on video I, I tend to put more weight on what the players do on the field baseball wise more so mm-hmm. than that but yeah I mean I I agree with you that yeah I, I think for I don't know what percentage but but, but a very uh an overwhelmingly high percentage of scouts I, I think would agree with kind of the mm-hmm. The, the opinion that you just said of that, that scouts generally have. Yeah. Well, you could, I mean, if you think it's overblown, I, I think the more that I've talked to scouts and perhaps this is just a bias of talking to scouts all the time, I think it's way more valuable than I would have thought five years ago, because I do think there is a, a makeup component um, to baseball. I mean, I, it's probably true of every sport. I think 
the players at the big leagues. We we talked about clutchness in our Slack recently and like how how much that mental ability matters. And I, I generally think that most of the big league players um, are kind of self-selected for being very mentally strong and just being able to handle themselves because I, I don't know how you make it to the big league level without having those mental skills. So maybe it's a case where when we're trying to nitpick those skills or those abilities from a big league population, it's in my mind, I, I think maybe that can be misleading, but I do think when you're trying to find out who's going to make the big leagues, uh, I feel like that evaluation is, is probably still important. Um, not to say that you have to have like one specific personality type to be a big leaguer, but I, I do think it's important to be able to handle failure um, and, and to handle not performing optimally all the time and, and have that not impact your game. Um, but makeup is, is very interesting to me, but it's, it's tough because it's so hard to quantify. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure I, I could be, I could be overblowing it here and maybe making it more than it is. But again, pretty much everyone that I talk to thinks it is very important. So it's hard for me to say, well, I don't think it is. So. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, like if, if, like we were talking about college recruiters early on in the, or college coaches too, early on, we were talking about video. I, I feel like for them, that's gotta be a big drawback of, of video because you're, you're, you're talking about kids you're bringing into your college program and you're, and you're looking at kids who are again, like you know, really, really young, like 14, 15 years old. So <laughs> I, I feel like it's got to be even more, even more important for them to be able, and, and they've been under so many restrictions where they just can't go out and, or haven't been able to go out and see players in person because of NCAA rules. So I feel like that that's got to be a big one. And, you know, the, the quality of the video that they're not, that they're getting on players is, is not going to be as good as obviously a college broadcast either but I, I i think probably even more so for them that's where being being at the park or or being able to get to know these players in person is probably even more important for them than than i think it is for for major league clubs yeah no doubt um want to talk about pop-up players as well i don't know if there are any specific players that you want it uh, unless ben i don't want to jump the ship on just video evaluations. Is there anything that, that we had didn't talk about that you want to mention before I kind of steer the conversation in another direction? Uh, oh, we talked about hitters, I, I guess. I mean, for pitchers again, I, I think, and, and, and you made a really good point too, about scouting and evaluating defense too for pitchers. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about, I, I think you can get a really good feel for a player for, for a college pitcher on a, on a good broadcast of video but there is, you know, it is good to supplement that, you know, having a good seat behind home plate is, is helpful to be able to evaluate a pitcher from that angle too. But again, like, and this is probably, or I hope <laughs> just an issue in 2021, but like, if, if you're watching a college broadcast right now, uh, it probably depends. Uh, it probably varies a lot based on the school and maybe what region the school is in. But you know, like if if at a lot of college parks right now, like you have to 
you have to be very the, the scout section is either higher up than than normal uh behind home plate because they're they just have certain sections closed off or they have you know zip ties over the seats so so you people are socially distanced so you might not even be able to get your your optimal angle or from some other broadcast i see everybody's just uh uh jammed in there like there's no certainly uh, varies depending on where in the country you're at yeah (laughs) like like what COVID? i don't know what you're talking about we're done with that so uh so so it varies but so yeah i mean like this year you might not be able to get your your preferred seat or angle behind the plate but i do think it helps also just for pitchers being able to um you know like it's also it's all supposed to supplement each other right i mean it's not that you're it's not that teams are just, you know, ignoring scouting college players in person now. It's just, all right, well, we have a lot more tools at our yeah. disposal. I think it's all about maximizing what you can do with the tools you have and the, the time that you have. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's like, if, if I'm, if there's like a lower, you know, level or, or if there's a high school player in, in the area uh, who I can go see, on the but there's also a college player who who I could see live and they're both playing on the same day I'd rather go see the high school player because I can just go back and watch the video stream of of that college player so it's a matter of you know like you said how, how are we gonna use our time optimally well I can do both because of video now and again I can I can we can still have somebody go in and, and see those college guys in person at times to to supplement and and enhance the evaluation it's not necessarily one or the other but by having these video tools it frees up our our personnel as a scouting department to be able to go out and and see more of these high school players and like you said hopefully be able to identify more of these pop-up guys from from college or, or, or excuse me, from, from high school, I got ahead of myself for a second, or I was going to say from college too, who you, you might hear about who are at, you know, smaller schools and, and you really want to go in and, and see those guys live to, to be able to see them. Cause you have some interesting notes uh, or, or reports or, or data on them from TrackMan mm-hmm. or wherever else to, uh, you know, to go, to go see those guys live. Yeah, definitely. And we kind of pivot to the pop-up guys now. Um, but what do you think? I mean, there are a lot of reasons that players uh, are either overlooked or reasons why players pop up. It's not like there's one formula for this, but what are you looking for, for players generally for, for guys to take a step forward? I guess we can start with hitters. Uh, actually, let's start with pitchers because there's an interesting pitcher that I want to talk about who has taken a big step forward. And, and also the kind of pop-up characterization, it, it probably just – because a guy like Matt Mikulski is who I wanted to talk about. I don't know if I would necessarily label him a pop-up player because it's not like he came out of nowhere. He was ranked last year, and I'm assuming if we had a typical draft, he would have been drafted. Uh, but he's back this year, and he's significantly better. So he has – moved up boards yeah consider that a pop-up pitcher at, at fordham 
Yeah, if you consider that a pop-up or a riser, when I think of pop-up, I generally think of players who came from completely off the radar and are now like legitimate draft prospects. Like the best one in recent memory for me would probably be Keone Cavaco, who was not on the draft circuit uh, or was not at many uh, big-time summer showcase circuit events. And then very quickly in the spring, we found out that he was like a player with first-round tools and was getting first-round grades and uh, eventually went in the first round to the Twins. Um, but a guy like Mikulski, he makes a, um, a mechanical change, shortens his arm slot a little bit, and all of a sudden is coming out with significantly better stuff after having a pretty good year a season prior. So what are areas for pitchers maybe that you're looking for them taking steps forward? Uh, are there any indicators that you can kind of point to um, or that you're looking for for players to take that leap? I would say both for hitters and for pitchers, it it tends to be players who have good good actions or, or good mechanics who do things easily, like a pitcher with an easy delivery or a uh, a hitter with with a good swing but from players who just lack physical strength at the time but but have promising indicators of of strength projection coming so you have you know a pitcher with a a good delivery and, and maybe, you know, going into his senior year of high school and, you know, up until that point, maybe the summer before he was touching 90 or, or 91 and, and he's showing some feel for a breaking ball and he's got a, you know, really loose, easy arm action, pretty free and easy type delivery, but he's, and, and good arm speed too uh, is, is another one for, for pitchers where it, but he's, you know, let's say six to 170 pounds, broad shoulders, looks like a guy when you just, you just layer on some strength and some calories onto that player, he's going to be a different guy when he's six to 195, six to 205, or, or maybe six, three, you know, 210, something like that. When he's got another 25, 30, 35, pounds on him he that's you know we could easily see a, a pitcher like that take off and, and go from throwing 91 to throwing you know touching 95 96 uh with you know some more power to the breaking ball if he's already shown some feel for it so uh or or, or for a hitter i'm i'm i tend to not look so much at the like the like the raw tools guy who I'm hoping is going to put it all together. I mean, that can, that can happen sometimes, but not usually a bet that I want to make. I'd rather bet on that, that same type of hitter who I just described as almost like a pitcher where all the actions look right. Mm -hmm. um, the, he, he, he plays the game under control. It's just, all right, well, he needs to gain strength. And when he gets stronger, then the power is going to come. Yep. There might even be more bat speed in there. There could be more foot speed, more. There are a couple strength. players 
that I kind of wanted to point to that are pretty much exactly what you're talking about. Tell me the, the hitter that I think pretty much fits what you just said to a T is Carson Tucker, who the Indians drafted in the first mm-hmm. round last year after the summer and kind of in the preseason before his high school season really got going. He was kind of a steady Eddie type who really did everything well, but didn't blow anyone away in any category as more like average tools across the board. And then very quickly in the high school season, we started hearing how much better he looked and it was pretty much just like you said, he, he took the off season. He got a lot stronger. He started showing more power. He started running better. It was a full grade, better run times than we had in the past. Um, it was significantly better power production. Um, just adding that strength took his game, which was already a very skillful, solid all around game and just kind of gave him a few carrying tools um, and increased the upside. And that, that made him took him from a like three to five round type, or maybe even lower. I don't remember where we had him in the preseason, uh, but to a guy who went in the first round and then a pitcher who he isn't exactly the template that you described, but in the same kind of manner, like Grayson Rodriguez is one of the, the more impressive kind of pop-up arms who went in the first round in recent years. I mean, he was on the Texas area code team that had guys like Braxton Ashcraft, uh, Sammy Faltine, Sanson Faltine, Jordan Groshans, Adam Clothenstein, Joseph Menevee, Bobby Witt Jr., Matthew Thompson, all of those players. I think Simeon Woods Richardson was on that team as well. All of those players that, yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> you'll probably look at every Rangers area code team and, and have it filled with dudes. Um, but all of those guys at the time were much more highly ranked prospects. And I think Rodriguez was like six foot five, 220 pounds, but it was kind of a dumpy body. I would have to go back to check out my notes, but I remember that he was not very highly thought of. And then again, over the off season, he really hit the gym hard, transformed his body into a very muscular, like in shape fit frame. And after topping out in the lower nineties, he was up to 97, 98, both of his breaking balls got better. Um, and he was always a guy who had a pretty good idea of what he was doing on the mound and just that additional strength to his frame, the, the shape that he got himself in just allowed all of his tools to play up. And before you know it, he's signing for over $4 million as the 11th pick in the draft. So those are two players who were pop-ups in some, I mean, Grayson was definitely a pop-up Carson Tucker was, and again, Carson had the, uh, the benefit of having his brother. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to be a pop-up when, when your brother is a, a professional ball player as well. Uh, but those are, I think, good examples of two players in recent years who have, who have done a lot to, improve their tool set and, and really elevate their upside potential. Yeah. It's, it's easier for me to, to bet on those type of guys compared to, you know, the guy who's, who, who may have more now tools, but is also more physically, physically mature for his age. I don't want to say totally maxed out, but some, somebody who's already extremely strong, for for his age being able to you know all of a sudden make some major swing adjustment or or swing overhaul 
uh, or, or suddenly be able to learn to uh, recognize a breaking ball, being able to pick up spin from, you know, the summer heading into his senior year compared to that spring, uh, you know, a, a player can make improvements in those areas, but I, I'd rather bet on the player who, who already has a good swing, who already is able to track pitches and, and recognize spin and knows a strike zone and, and just needs to be able to put on weight and put on strength i'd rather be betting on a, a 17 18 year old being able to you know increase his squat deadlift or, or whatever other actions that he's doing in the gym to to put on weight to to increase his his strength or or his power output that i think just naturally comes in in a lot of cases not naturally with with work obviously but is, is just more natural to come compared to making some major overhaul with your swing or, or being able to suddenly throw a, a, a you know, a, a plus breaking ball when you're mm-hmm. lacking feel to, to spin it the, the summer before. One of the guys who really interests me in this, this current class, 2021 draft class is Branson cool uh, or cool. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, um, but he's, one of two really interesting prospects out of South Dakota this year. I feel like this year's South Dakota class is like pretty extraordinary for having two guys who are going to be BA 500 guys uh, somewhere in the middle of the list and potentially higher. Cool was one of the the players we put in a preseason post on 10 sleepers. And I feel like he kind of fits this classic projection high school pitcher profile, pretty similar to Carter Baumler and Dylan McLean from last year. Um, but six foot three, 180 pound frame, really lean kind of projectable body throws with loose, easy actions on the mound, good arm speed. The fastball has been mostly 88 to 92. Um, he's shown flashes of a plus slider, but it hasn't been that pitch consistently. So I think he does have the feel to spin the breaking ball, but just needs to kind of get those reps to do it consistently. I don't think South Dakota gets going until May. Um, so really don't know what he's doing in game to this point, but he would be a guy that I pointed to that I was really excited to see if he, he's a player who can take a step forward. Uh, are are there any, did he go to, uh, did he go to any like big showcases last Um, summer? I believe he did. I can pull it up to see which, because I was going to say, yeah, like that, like, like what makes a guy go under the radar is the other part of it is like Mm -hmm. being in an area like I, I don't know all thirty clubs, but like I don't know if any team does any team have an area guy who like lives in. No, most <laughs> of the most of the yeah. guys who covered <laughs> the Dakotas are like upper Midwest scouts who are mostly in like Illinois and kind of the area around there, and then will make a trip or a few trips. It's probably not not usually if, a few yeah, trips if, out if there's same, a guy. I think that's that's how it works. You don't have someone stationed in in Wyoming running around the state (laughs) all the time, but no, the guys in the Midwest generally have pretty big areas because of that reason. Yeah. So like, look, like if you live in South Florida or, you know, Southern California, like you're probably, you, you you could, there, there, you can have pop-up players Mm -hmm. from there. Yeah. Like we talked about Keanu Cavaco just a few years ago, Southern California kid. But it's 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 much easier to see how a player who's 
just geographically in mm-hmm. a place that's more difficult to get to or and, and, and i think this is this is true internationally mm-hmm. too like <laughs> whether it's like was whether it's, jupiter by the way just really yeah so yeah so like what, whether it's that i'm seeing on his page right so yeah so you can see a guy there but you're, you're probably gonna have more limited looks at at that players were from very remote areas or, or, or also like you said, to play, if, if a player doesn't go or isn't seen at, at some of these big showcase events that, that draw a lot of this, you know, East coast pro area. Coach. And I think that's why a lot of multi-sport guys can more easily be pop-ups or hidden. Cause there, there are a lot of cases where there are football players who are very good baseball players as well. Uh, they have to decide, are they going to these summer showcases or are they getting ready for their football season? Um, I think Bubba Chandler is a guy like that. I don't know. He went to a few of the big events. So I don't, I don't think it was at all of them. Um, or guys like Jackson Lynn, in Massachusetts, he was a guy who just wasn't on the circuit. And I think teams are pretty scared of that profile because they want history on these players. But if you are just not playing travel ball or you're playing multiple sports uh, not playing baseball year round, it can definitely be a lot easier to go under the radar. I think scouts are generally pretty good at finding you. If you have talent, um, most of the scouts that have been in areas for a while have the connections around the state with different coaches, with different college coaches and kind of word gets out when there's a high school player doing something pretty special. So the, the area guys who are really locked in and know their areas and know how to network on top of evaluate I feel like generally we'll figure you out. And, and again, I, maybe that's what happened with Evan Carter. I feel like he is a guy who what maybe would have been a pop-up if we had been on him, but no one really was ever on him. I think we had talked with one scout before the draft last year on Evan Carter, who was like, yeah, he's kind of interesting. And that was kind of the extent of the conversation. Um, but, it, but it is, there are so many opportunities for players to get scouted that it seems crazy to have pop-up players, but there's so many players playing baseball in the country that you're, you're never going to see them all. Yeah. And I, I, I think this, you know, over the past year or two with COVID, I think there were, you know, a lot of families that just didn't, didn't either for health and safety reasons, didn't mm-hmm. want to, travel and, and yep. have their you know have their kids traveling around the country during a pandemic which i think is very reasonable yeah. <laughs> and also well, also a lot of families look just you know ar- around the country a lot of people lost their jobs had their income cut back and it just made more financial sense for them to uh to, you know to not pay all the money that it costs to go to all these different showcases and travel ball tournaments. It's, it's really expensive. And, and, and that's obviously look, that's a factor for a lot of families every year, regardless of, of COVID. But I think COVID magnified those issues for, for a lot of families, just, you know, talking to some parents who said, yeah, look, we didn't want to send our, our kid. Cause you know, our, our family income got, got hit this year. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that played into it this year so it's that's part of the equation too i I, you know some of the like the events that are free are are great but but even then like you have to pay money to 
You have you to know, get there. You have to stay there. Yeah, you some of them get are, there. Some of them are fully paid for, but again, a lot of these events, a lot of the events that are fully paid for are events that you get to by going to all these other events that you do have to pay for and, and kind of showing that you're good to get those invites. So it is expensive to do the travel ball thing where, where most of these kids are seen. I'm curious about the financial components for, for international players, Ben. What is kind of the, the cost of going to these academies um, in the international market? Is, this, is that something that players are paying for or are trainers trying to find the talent and provide places for them to train because they're hoping that the investment turns into money for them down the line? How, do, how does the financial model work over there? So before a player signs, I mean, for the most part, they're, they're not paying, the player is not paying anything up front. Uh, the, the trainer is, you know, who, who runs the, you know, the, the program that the player is in pays for everything. Um, so whether that's, you know, food, housing, sometimes equipment, um, you know, bats, gloves, uh, balls, spikes, uh, all, all the coaching. Like, I, I, you know, I say a trainer, but it's, it's almost like the president of a company to, to an extent and in some cases, cause they also have a staff of coaches, the, the bigger ones who, who, who they pay to, you know, to, to train these kids, a pitching coach, a hitting coach, you know, various people who, who help support them driving kids around doing doing different tasks so um and and if they are traveling you know whether whether it's a, you know a kid in the Dominican Republic traveling around the you know just driving around the country or or they're flying to uh you know the United States for for an event all, all that is paid for by by the trainer by by his program now when and if the player doesn't sign then you know there's pretty there's really no payment to to happen because the way the trainers make money is they get a a commission much much larger than what an agent would make off of a commission from a a draft pick signing and i think rightfully so cuz they're providing like like i just described i think a lot more value <laughs> Than, than an agent, not to say an agent in the United States uh, for, for a draft pick doesn't provide value, but mm -hmm. this is a whole other level of, of, of value that I think is being provided by a, a trainer or an agent in, in the Dominican Republic or, or Venezuela. So they, they make their money when the player signs and it, you know, it can be a very large, you know, 30, 40%. Um, so so when if and when a player does get signed, then yeah, then that's when that's when the trainer gets paid. But leading up to leading up to the the signing for you know and and you know players can be in in a program for several several years. So it's it's a lot of a lot of expenses being incurred up front by these trainers with the hope that you know they'll they'll get a a big big signing out of it down, down the road. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. That makes sense. Um, do you want to talk about players who could be talk about pop-up players, talk about overlooked players, I guess, again, before I kind of steer the conversation in another direction, is there anything that we haven't mentioned about 
pop-up types or overlooked players that's interesting to you or, or players you wanted to point to or anything else on that topic you want to talk about? No, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's always, I, I also wonder too, if like, like you said, I, I think that's another thing that, that you mentioned that I think kids and, and maybe some families too miss is that like it, it, just because a, a scout from a club is not at a certain game doesn't mean that that scouts from major league clubs are not going to very quickly in many cases hear <laughs> about that player if he's if he's worth coming in to take a look at because these scouts do have you know pretty good you know if, if you're an area scout in uh, you know, in, in, in South in in Southern California or the Northeast or wherever your area is, you should have, especially if you've been doing it for at least a few years, a pretty good network of contacts among college coaches, college recruiters, high school coaches, uh, like, like kind of like local independent coaches and, and trainers in that area where if somebody starts popping off and is, is worth going to see people will will hear about it and then scouts you know even though they're competing against each other they're also colleagues and friends and people like to chat which is great for us so really great for us it's it's something where word spreads quickly we're like yeah like it, there there are certain guys who will be pop-up guys who will kind of still be under the radar and maybe only a handful of clubs will we'll know about them and, and hope the word doesn't spread. I mean, when I was at that game <laughs> this, this week to see the the pop-up guy, he, one of the scouts saw me, he was like, Oh man. Like he was like, he's like, now everybody's going to know about this guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but again, like, like there were 20 scouts there. So I wasn't the only one like word word spreads pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Sometimes again, not in, not in every case, but word word spreads faster than faster than you would think yeah and i think too i would just hammer in the opposite point which is that even if we might not necessarily have a player ranked that doesn't mean the teams don't know about the player or won't take them again evan carter would be the most prominent example i mean when evan carter's name was called i was like ticked off at myself that we didn't have more information on him but there are so many players and there are going to be guys that we just miss on um, just because that's a a function of the process or because the team did a really good job finding a hideout guy uh, that no one ever knew about. And to the Rangers credit, the Evan Carter, again, we're still waiting for some minor league season, but what we've heard from Evan Carter since he's been in pro ball is pretty promising and pretty encouraging. Um, So I'm really kind of fascinated to watch his progress and see if this is one that pays off for them. Because while I do think that, that, public rankings uh, to some extent might filter in teams models at, at the end of the day, teams aren't picking based on our ranking. They're, they're picking based on their evaluations and the board they come up with and their scouting philosophy. So to anyone who is like overly worked up about the rankings uh, just know that we aren't making the picks and that is a good thing for your team. <laughs> These guys really know what they're doing. Um, I, I also think that there's probably more players like it's it's probably easier now than it was 
any time in history, maybe, I would say, and it probably will continue to be that way going forward for teams to find pop-up guys and to be able to stay on them because there are just more tools at everybody's disposal now to to share video i think the key is the 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 data points that you can have with the video because i I do think you're right that the video the ability to kind of take video of yourself and put it out to the entire world you're getting more access and more eyeballs on yourself as a player than anyone could have ever done 20 30 years ago or maybe have to go back a little bit more but like good high quality video no one no one who was in high school multiple decades ago could have ever done that but i think the even, real even key, 10 years ago like dude like do you remember what youtube looked like 10 years ago <laughs> like it was not yeah. it's not what it was there's yeah. just the quality of, of i mean the fact that you have sharing tools now and just the the quality of smartphone cameras now like movies have been shot on the camera that we carry around in our back pocket and the fact that you can have anyone shoot that sort of video you don't, there's no the barrier for entry to getting those sort of products in your hand is so much lower than it ever has been. And I think the real key to unlocking that and to really like, I mean, maybe, maybe it'll disrupt how scouting works because I mean, some of the things like, like with Rapsodo, what they're doing and trying to get people, get players to come in and get their data certified and verified when you compare those data points and those kind of underlying metrics and like the verifiable quantifiable information with your video, I feel like that is kind of the key. And and we've already talked about a lot of the reasons why scouts are able to cover college players. And it's because of that. But when that filters down and becomes more accessible to everyday high school players, players who maybe you don't have to pay to go to some elite travel ball uh, tournament or some elite showcase event to get this sort of data and to push it out there to scouts um, or to college coaches. I mean, it's this this isn't all through a lens of just the draft, but literally just to get college recruiters to see you who otherwise may have never heard of you because either you're playing in a very rural area that doesn't typically produce talent or you don't have the means to play travel ball. You don't have the money to to spend or you're just doing other things like playing multiple sports like the verifiable info that you can pair with the video i feel like is is really the key that kind of unlocks everything i I think it's trickle down i think it's we're already seeing it to an extent both for high school and international players i I mean you can like do you know how like how many stories like i hear of oh yeah like not from a scout, but just some random player or whoever will, oh yeah, like Mike, this guy runs six two or this guy throws ninety-six. And it's like, no, yeah, they don't. Sure like, he does. No, they don't. <laughs> but right now, if you are a high school player in South Dakota and you throw ninety-four, you can get a video. I mean, pe- pe- people do like you can just take a video. I understand not everybody has access to all these other tools, but I mean, get a pocket take, radar. I mean, it's not yeah, you, as accurate you can take as a, a video of two, you but... throwing the pitch. You can have a radar gun, somebody holding a radar gun in front of the camera or or after the pitch, 
you know, change from panning going, to it. Yep. Yeah, panning to the radar gun. Or if you have a rap soto there, you can, you know, have the guy again turn the camera, have it show the rap soto right after the pitch. Guys are doing that. Or even even if it's just uh, you know, swings that a, a hitter is taking, you know, whether it's in a game or or in BP, uh, or or a guy taking infield, I get hundreds of, of videos every month sent to me uh internationally and i know scouts do too and and most of them it's like eh, like you know there's probably not much here but every now and then it's like ooh, okay like i gotta know i, I want to know more about that kid like if i'm a scout in the dominican republic and i get one of those videos oh like i if i gotta go out and see that guy or or tell you know a scout who's maybe in, in his area, Hey, go, go check this guy out. I know there, there was a team this year that oh, I've actually had multiple <laughs> teams tell me that, you know, once, you know, the first time they saw a player was on, you know, social media was on, was on Instagram. I've had some funny stories <laughs> about players being, uh, you know, posted on my Instagram account and good things happening for them and I'm I'm happy for them that's that's awesome that they can get you know seen and and more exposure that way and and there's it's easier again like you said with smartphones you can send it instantly through through WhatsApp or or wherever else I mean talk about like the most important technology in international scouting is not TrackMan or Rapsodo or Blast or the K Vest or any of that stuff. It just it's it's the iPhone. It's a <laughs> smartphone. Like yeah, you, you specifying iPhone is like particularly annoying to me as an an Android user because <laughs> I will get texts. You're a of green video. text guy. I am. I'm sorry to ruin everyone's group chat, but I will get texts of video, and it is always compressed and pixelated because it's coming from an iPhone. And I don't know what the technology reason for that is, but these guys need to figure it out because every Apple time doing that, it's a, it's a hundred percent that I'm pretty sure because they want everyone on their iMessage platform, which makes sense. I get it. But every time for me, it's like, this looks cool. Can you please email or send in WhatsApp so I can <laughs> see this? <laughs> so if anyone out there wants to send me a video, please email or WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, WhatsApp is, show up. WhatsApp is king for international. But yeah, it really seems like that's the medium that it's in. Yeah. But who would be... So like we talked about pop-up players. So I wouldn't call it like... I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it like Nick York a pop-up guy, but I would say he was, uh, when, when the Red Sox drafted him last year, he, he was, he was a, a pretty big surprise. We had him in our top 100 prospects. We had 96 on the BA 500, but obviously 96 is not. Yeah. We can steer the conversation to guys who maybe have a chance to go in the first round that are currently not ranked near that range. Cause I, I do think you're right. It, we would hesitate before calling Nick York a pop-up player. And I do think that the the rationale behind the pick made all the sense in the world to me. Like again, in, in the first line of Nick York's scouting report without me pulling it up, we said there were some scouts who thought York was the best pure hitter on the West coast. So if you were a team who believed in that evaluation, you also happen to be a team that didn't have a second round pick. 
and you thought he might not make it to you because there were other teams who believed in that evaluation, then guess what? You you really buy into the bat, you take him with your first pick. So, I mean, I respect the Red Sox for making that pick and people who are really criticizing it at the time. I don't, I don't think that was really necessary. We'll see what happens with them. But yeah, let's talk about some guys who are currently ranked a little lower that, that might be able to sneak up there. I yeah, think, who would... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, before we get into any specific players, I just want to point out that like this year, I, I'm pretty sure more than any year... I've been covering the draft. I have heard of more split camp players than ever. That that phrase is just being thrown around with more guys. And again, I think I talk about this seemingly every podcast. I feel like it just comes down to the lack of an evaluation period last summer. There's increased depth. There's less time, less track record on all these guys. So there's going to be less consensus on the players overall and added depth beyond the elite tier of players. So all, that, do you, do you think that's true for college and high school players yes. or more just both of them? I think both because with college guys, you have, you have the increased depth and with the increased depth, you have less track record than you would typically have. So depending on the history you have with a player or how model heavy you are, if you're a very analytics oriented team, you don't have the, the kind of tale of data to really get a baseline for what you think this player is. There are certain players who are draft eligible this year who were freshmen last year. And so you had four weeks to kind of see what they were. And if this year they're coming out and they're looking completely different, well, you got a lot of noise there. You need to figure out what's legit the four weeks you saw last year or what he's showing this year. And if you didn't see him any over the summer because there was no Cape Cod or he didn't go to one of the regional um, summer leagues or any of those factors, you, you just have much more of a question mark on what the player is, especially if it was a player who you didn't really have follows on out of high school. And then like you were mentioning with the high school players, there were plenty of players who got scouted over the showcase circuit, like the Brady houses of the world who had been seen and, and known about since they were underclassmen, but there were a lot of players, particularly on the West coast, who weren't going to these events. Most, most of these events were in the Southeast and it doesn't take you too much thinking to realize why that was the case. Uh, but there were a lot of kids on the West coast who weren't seen last year over the summer when you typically get a good read for the high school class who are now popping up and making, making waves this spring. Kyle had a really good piece on some West coast risers and there's a mix of high school and college players. But I think just the additional depth and the lack of time the teams had last summer just creates less consensus with the class overall. And the consensus typically falls apart pretty quickly in a baseball draft, just because that's how the evaluations seem to work. Um, and that's going to happen quicker and to a greater degree this year, I think, just based on all the conversations I've had with area scouts, with cross checkers, with national guys, with scouting directors. Like I remember polling when we polled scouting directors, most of the comments, we just left an option for people to add comments if they wanted. And, and a lot of people mentioned that this year they were going into a draft class with more uncertainty than they ever have. So I think all of that adds up to, I mean, this draft is going to be maybe the most interesting that we've, that I've ever covered. It, it's it's going to be fun to see what happens because there are going to be some surprises. I'm pretty sure. And if I, if I knew would all the surprise players who they were now, they wouldn't really be surprises, but I'm just telling you it's going to happen. There's going to be a player who gets drafted earlier than we think. And at the time we're going to be surprised and wonder why, but 
it's probably going to pan out that like these players are just much better than we really knew about at the time. So or we can so get who, into some of So take away the top 60 players mm-hmm. on the BA 500. Cause that's, I think the top two rounds is like 60, 62, 63. Yeah. The picks. top, I think the second round ends at 63. And then there's a comp round that goes from 64 to 71. So the third yeah. round, so we can do so, so uh, 60. You can't take anybody who's in our top 60 right now. And we are going to update these rankings yeah. soon. pretty soon. But who, who, who's somebody who you could see, not that you're expecting to go in the first round, because we didn't expect Nick York to go in the first round, but who's somebody yeah. like that where, like, if you if you had to pick somebody where you could see somebody falling in love like the Red Sox did with Nick York and taking this guy in the first round and he ends up being the the surprise of of the draft i mean the most obvious round most obvious one to me that has kind of a nick york comparison in that sense is peyton stovall Mm. we have him ranked 78 right now and he uh, he's just been hitting homers constantly and he is a player who kind of similar to nick york doesn't really have a great defensive profile probably a second baseman not the best runner not the best defender doesn't have the best arm but he really hits and he really hits with power. I mean, he's hitting for more power than Nick York showed. I don't know if he is the same type of pure hitter that Nick York is, but he might be. Um, and if you're a team who really is just fully bought in on those offensive tools, particularly in a draft class lacking really elite bats on the college side, and you're just like, okay, well, we really want to bat here. We don't have any college bats that we have confidence in. And this Peyton Stovall kid has just been destroying balls. And it's not like shortstop from, yeah, he's a high school shortstop from uh, Houghton High School in Louisiana, Arkansas commit. Uh, So, again, if if he gets to campus, I could see him just going off uh, like Robert Moore has been doing at times this year. And just if this kid gets to college and hits at all like what he's shown, it wouldn't, I mean, he's he's a first rounder, right? So, if you think that is the type of player he is, I mean, draft him now, get him into your system. Um, and But again, the, the pressure is just on the bat. I, I can see some teams being a bit more scared of the profile, uh, being a bit more scared to fully buy into that because if he doesn't hit, then you really have to wonder kind of what you have in this player. But I mean, people really seem to like his bat and maybe he's a guy who will end up ranking within the top 60 right now or, or down the line. Right now we have him at 78. But he's definitely a guy that I could like. If he went the first, I wouldn't be stunned. I, I could definitely see the logic of it. I think another player who, and maybe the answer is just like high school middle infielders, high school shortstops. But Cody Schreier is another player who I don't think he fits the that kind of Nick York mold as nicely as Stovall does for the reason that I mentioned. But he seems like just very much a split camp player. And so for, for the purposes of our rankings, when we have players like that, we kind of try and meet in the middle. There's no easy answer. I mean, I've talked with, with teams who think he is a top two round player. And I've talked with other teams who think he is more of a like five to seven round player. So for those guys, it's, it's, there's no real consensus on them. So you kind of have to meet halfway in the middle. So if, if one team that is really on the higher end, 
uh, sees him on the board when they're picking, it wouldn't shock me if he went. Um, I think those would be the first two. Another player that's really interesting to me is um, South Carolina high school outfielder Will Taylor, who is a Clemson commit for football and baseball. Um, and he's just really toolsy. And the early reports of him this spring are pretty loud. Um, so if someone bought into the upside, the athleticism, the tool set with him, that wouldn't shock me either. And then there is one other player who was a pretty heavy split camp, um, Peyton Green at Greenhope High School in North Carolina. And he's a guy who teams have seen for a while now because he goes to the same high school that Jordan Adams and uh, Liam Norris, who was just drafted by the Diamondbacks last year, went to. And I, I feel like some teams really like him like as like a top 50, top 60 player in the class, and other teams are not close to that evaluation. Um, so I just feel like there are a lot of split camp players, and, and those might be a few who, who could go higher than, than where we have them on the board now or where we inevitably have them. Are there yeah, any names that you're interested in? The Peyton Stovall one, that's a good one. I like that call. I wish I had thought of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's just maybe that's just telling us that we have him ranked too low. I mean, he he very well could just be ranked simply too low because again, like those profiles are tough, but at the end of the day, the hit tool and the power tool are the most important ones for teams. So. Well, that I mean, that is the kind of guy where like some teams are gonna place much greater value on on louder tool, like a rock Riggio is another mm-hmm. guy. I, I, yeah, that's a good know, one. I we, we have him a little bit lower, but another guy who, I mean, I think in his report, it says <laughs> another like split kind of guy where if you, you know, if you really value like premium athleticism and, and really big tools. All right. Well, that's, that's not rock Riggio, but he, if you like him, he's got a really good swing. He's very hitter ish good idea the strike zone I, I i really like him but he you know he's not a plus runner he's not going to play shortstop probably at, at the next level he, I, I think he can play second base I, I liked him at second base so I, you know again like nick york guys who project at second base but who can really hit uh but have some other questions about how much you know speed or, or power they're going to have tend to be divisive guys but they also tend to be guys that I, I really like. So yeah, that I th- works for me. I think too, it's just a, it's an interesting conversation just to have in terms of like, are we ranking guys in the right places? Because looking back, some of the players that I regret having as low as we did were the pure hitter, like the pure hitters in the class. Like not to say that we didn't have Robert Hassel or, um, oh, I'm blank. Uh, Jared Kelnick ranked high we had them both as first rounders and they were always towards the top of our list but like looking back i wish we had both those players even higher i think it's so, an industry thing just generally where yeah. the the guys who have really loud raw tools but uh, like there's some people question the hit tool but somebody else thinks they're gonna <laughs> you know like they're one adjustment away or something like but there's just the track record of guys who can hit or, or is, is so much better, I think, than the guy or, or that, you know, where you have more confidence in their bat, but some more questions on the secondary or supporting 
tools. I mean, they are secondary tools. The most important thing you can do is hit. Yeah. Let's, I do like your idea of blaming it on the industry though, because you know, we are trying, we are trying to figure else. out, we are trying to figure out the industry's opinion. So we can just, when, when we're right, we can take the credit for it. And when we're wrong, we can just say, you know, these were not our opinions on the rankings. It was the industry. They got it wrong. And I'll be able to sleep at night doing that. But um, no, I want to look back at um, the 2019 class. Which class had Corbin Carroll? That was 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to look back and see, because this is another guy, ago. again, who <laughs> seems like ages ago. So we had Riley Green five. And at the time, I think he was thought of as the best pure hitter in that class. He's been pretty good. Riley Green five. And then we had Corbin Carroll 12. So again, I think I would rather have court. Like, here's our top 12 and tell me how many players you would rather have than Corbin Carroll. All right. So Adley Rutschman one. You'd probably rather have Adley Rutschman. Oh yeah. 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 Sorry. Adley we can, Rutschman, we can yes. go as, as, we, as we go. <laughs> okay. Bobby Witt Jr. Was two. Yeah. Bobby Witt. All right. Andrew Vaughn three. Stick with Vaughn for now. Okay. CJ Abrams four. Abrams. Yeah. Riley Green five. I'll still, I'll still take Riley Green. And then J.J. Bladé, six. I might go with Corbin Carroll there. Okay, so the first, those top six, I wasn't super concerned about because at the time, too, they were kind of the baked in. This is the elite top six of the class. Once we get to seven, Hunter Bishop. Oh, no, no. You're taking <laughs> Corbin Carroll. Carroll. Okay. Uh, Nick Lodolo was eight. Uh, I'll still take Corbin Carroll. But Nick Nick Odo's a good a good player. Okay, Shea Langoliers nine. I'll take Corbin Carroll. Bryson Stott ten. Corbin Carroll. And then Zach Thompson eleven. Thompson's good, but I'll I, I still like Corbin Carroll. Okay, now if we we have the time for it, I kind of want to do the same thing with Kelnick because I yeah. think I think he was in a similar range, and I think he's probably to an even greater degree than Carroll. I would have rather had him higher. Um, and this was my first year doing it. And I'm curious to see if I have more regrets of it. Okay. Yeah, this one, the top of the class of this year was not quite as like obvious, I would say, as the 2019 class. All right, so number one, <laughs> this one's going to start really early. Number one, Casey Mize. So this is, would you rather have Jared Kelnick or the, the player we have in our ranking? rather have jared kelnick but i would not have hesitated to take casey mize number one at the time for sure okay number two matthew liberator uh jared kelnick all right number three nick madrigal i do like nick madrigal dude he's straight he has like his strikeout rate at the major league level right now is like three percent or something absurd and he's obviously not hitting for any I was about to power. say, what's his what's his hard hit rate and his average exit velocity? Yeah, I think he's he's slugging like mid three hundred. So I mean, oh, it's he's very hitting early. He's like, hitting 358. Let's see, his strikeout percentage is in the top one percent of the league, three point three percent. Oh yeah, all right. His, so his hard cool. hit rate is also in the the bottom four percent of the league. So yeah, he's elite in two such categories. An unusual. Such an unusual, I, I still think there's enough in there for him to be like a Placido Polanco type player. I mean, would you rather have another very Polanco or, or Kelnick? Placido Polanco? Yeah. Which one would you rather have? 
Well, right now? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you, you, I mean, the the risk, the risk is part of it. <laughs> Placido Polanco. I don't mean in his however old he is right now. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say I, I I haven't seen him recently, but I'm not. <laughs> I think going forward, I would take Jared Kelenic. Yeah. But like, play, yeah, like, I mean, if I knew, if I could guarantee a Placido Polanco career for Nick Madrigal, I would take Nick Madrigal. Polanco, I think, is also just a very underrated player. I could be underrated right now. Yeah, as we talk. I about think him. people generally just underrate how good of a player mm-hmm. he was as a extreme high contact hitter. Yeah. Play play up the middle. He, he was. He's. I think he gets underrated. But but so yeah. Right, so I, I, right now, I would take. Uh, I I would I would probably still take Kellenic. I just just more chance for overall impact with him. Okay, number four, Brady Singer. Who entered the year as the top prospect in the class. Okay. Uh, number five, Joey Bart. Kalanick. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, unless any of these guys are in the big I'll just go through the, I'll just Kalanick. go through the next guys. Yeah. Cause he's also ranked 12th. Like Carol was. Um, but after Bart, it was Jonathan India, Alec Bohm, Shane McClanahan, Carter Stewart, Cole Wynn, Travis Swaggerty. Any of those jump out as like, okay, it's more interesting. I mean, India and Bohm are, like, okay. especially Bohm. Bohm has mm-hmm. a little bit more proven tracker right now at the at the major league level, and and a pretty accomplished college bat at the time too. Yep. Hey, man, college third baseman drafted in top ten, pretty good track record. It is. Um, it is. Yeah, but no, that that was kind of fun to go through. But yeah, in general, yeah. I just think best pure hitters in the class are really good pure hitters. Just juice them up the board, man. Hey, no arguments here. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, did you have any other ones you wanted to mention? I, honestly, I feel like it might be kind of cheating because he's going to rank significantly higher on our next update, but Mikulski is another one. You stole my guy. I'm sorry. I was going to cheat at the game. You. No, no, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Tell us why Mikulski will I was going to cheat and, and do Mikulski. Yeah, because he's, he's like in the low 100s right now, but like, I don't know. We still have to talk through where he's going to be, but I, I could see him in the fifties, even in our, our next update. And obviously this depends on, you know, we're going to have to move all, a whole bunch of other players around too, but like, man, he, he is impressive. A lot of scouts are really impressed by this guy and, and maybe kicking themselves for not uh, uh, having taken well, that, him last year. And that's the, the thing too. We, we talk about, I think so much of it, you can hindsight yourself and think, Oh, we really missed on him. But like, Mikulski is a different pitcher now than he was oh, totally. a year ago. So it's, it's like, yeah, they probably do regret not taking him, but could you really have known he was going to change his arm action and, and just take this next step forward? Yeah, that was in our report. He was going to change his arm action. <laughs> he was going to add like, I don't know, like four or five miles an hour to his fastball. It was, yeah, that was, we wrote that up. No, <laughs> obviously not, but he's, yeah, he's, man, he's, I'm, you know, I'm just going up and down our our list, and you know, even comparing them to other lefties in in the Northeast, like high school guys like Pierce Coppola or um, or Anthony Solomedo. And I mean, yeah, like he is older than them. He's he's a college senior. He's 22 years old. But he's also a left-handed pitcher, and he's not. It's not the best. You know, he's at Fordham, but the numbers are he's totally dominating he's a, a ton of strikeouts that he has and he's doing it he's like he's 
sitting low to mid 90s, sitting like 93, 96. He's touching 98, 99. Some reports of even 100. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he could touch 100, but I mean, he's definitely sitting 93, 96. He's touching, you know, eights and nines. And then he's got not only not only does he have big time velocity, he has a he has a really good changeup too. Not I don't think it's the most lively changeup, but he gets a lot of swing and miss off of his changeup. And the other thing he has is like like you mentioned, he shortened up his arm action, which doesn't mean a ton to me. But but what actually is interesting is if you watch him, and again you can see this just on watching his starts when they when when they stream it on on ESPN Plus, like he 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 has that short arm stroke where he and he just tucks the ball in to like his his chest or his it's stomach. like that spiraling arm action that I think Lucas Giolito is probably the most prominent MLB pitcher that made that change. It's it's kind of similar to that, I would say. Yeah, but he also like he just really hides the ball behind his body, so you can't. And and then it is it, it is a short arm action, like you said. So, and then the ball just like pops out. So he has so much deception on his stuff too, which I, I think really helps the changeup play up and the fastball too. I mean, like if this was an eighty-eight to ninety-two lefty who threw like that, we'd call him a you know a smoke and mirrors type guy. Yep. Who's relying on deception and he has that deception, but it's also again, 93 to 96 up to eights and nines and maybe even cracking triple digits. So it's, it, 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 and you have to be ready for that and, and the changeup and they kind of look the same coming out of his hand and, and you can't tell when it is coming out of his hand. So uh, that that's one thing too, that's hard to pick up if you're just, an analyst in, in an office and you're looking at pitch data, you're looking at velocity and spin rates and, and different movement patterns and, and shapes of, of, of a fastball or, or a changeup or, or other types of pitches that a guy is throwing. It's hard to really quantify deception in any way, but he has a lot of it. And I don't know that it really matters a lot for most players, but I think he's more at the extreme end of it with with how much he hides the ball and how much I think that helps him Mm -hmm. and and it's not again not just a guy who's this you know thumbing lefty who's relying on deception he has power stuff it's it's swing and miss stuff (laughs) and and it also just I think plays up because of how difficult it is to pick the ball up out of his hand yeah no doubt And, and as we sit here recording today Matt Mikulski is tied for seventh in strikeouts overall um, among Division One pitchers in the country. Yeah. Uh, he's tied with Dominic Hamill, uh, who is another guy who was draft eligible last year. Who, who would you guess are the top three pitchers for strikeouts in the country right now? And, and listeners, you can play along as Ben kind of thinks this through. I put you on the spot here. Three, three pitchers. I will say the top three. No, I won't, I won't give you any hints, actually. Top three pitchers for strikeouts. Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter is number one with 94. Whew. All so right. he got the hard one right there. I don't think – would Kumar be that high? I think he probably is a little bit short. 
Are you locking it in or are you going to pass? I'll give you, you get two guesses, so make them count. You can think it through a little bit more if you want. But I will say one of the pitchers who just outside of the top three is not a super high-profile name at all, but we wrote about him in a recent Stockwatch piece. So if you want to learn more about Aaron Brown at Middle Tennessee, check that out. But he is go. just behind uh, Jack Leiter and two other pitchers for fourth. Is it is it Rocker? That'll be my guess. Yes, Rocker is, is number three. So he has 81 Ks in 55 innings, and uh, Jack Leiter has 94 and 55 and a third. You got one guy in between them. Uh, I'll give you a hint for this one if you need, but you've done well so far. So uh, this next one I'm not going to get. I think he's a. I'll say your hint is that he's a, he's a very prominent arm in this year's draft class. Is it Hogland? It is Gunnar Hogland. Oh, there we one, go. One, two, and three. Nice job, Ben. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, the top three guys are all. If it was some, well, I thought it was some time obscure Madden. guy. I was like, I'm not gonna. <laughs> no, no, no. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have put you on the spot if it was three obscure people. Actually, I'm curious to see where Madden ranks because uh, quite a bit of a gap between those top three, like you said, and Ty Madden. He would have been the other guy that I would have been my next guest probably. Um, well, my my non cheater pick for uh, a surprise first rounder i i don't think he'll actually go in the first round but somebody who i could see vaulting up or, or somebody popping earlier on maybe than than expected right now alex mooney uh shortstop in, i like that uh, one in michigan where there's nothing you gonna run over to michigan to see him for us i don't think so not <laughs> i got too many guys in the northeast to cover this year so very true very true we'll get uh i think alexis is covering that area for us, if I remember right. I believe so. So she'll uh, she'll have that locked down for us. But yeah, somebody who high school infielder who's you know got good good contact skills could could play in the middle infield, and there's nothing super wow about the tools. But if you if you believe in the bat, if you if you think he can you know, maybe stick it at shortstop or, or if not even, you know, third base, second base, but, but you're really buying into the bat. I could see somebody be, be if I had to pick somebody to be a, a surprise guy out of the top 60, like, uh, like a Nick York, that would be my guy. Again, I, I don't project him to go in the mm -hmm. first round, but that would be another guy who I think could kind of fit into that mold of somebody buying in on, on the bat there. Yeah, that's a good one because Mooney was also a really impressive performer over the summer. And he was a guy who was kind of constantly showing up as better performers with some of the top players in the class on the same field. Um, it's really high baseball IQ guy, very aggressive mentality and kind of everything he does. Yeah, and kind of like you were saying, he's got that solid tool set across the board. And if he's a guy like Carson Tucker, who maybe just gets a little bit stronger and starts showing a little bit more pop, starts running a little bit faster. It's, it's not too hard to see if you really buy into the bat. So I think the two keys here are um, for this kind of player type, take, take players whose offensive tool sets you really buy into. Uh, and if you don't have any of those players, just grab a high school shortstop. Seems like somebody's going to take a, like a super, a super raw high school player in the first round and surprise us this year. Yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
with that, let's take a let's take a little bit of a break, and then we'll be back to maybe get through some questions. Um, but thanks to everyone who's been listening to this point. And we are back. Thank you guys for sticking around. We've got a few listener questions to get to, not a ton more in this episode, but uh, Zach Marceau on Instagram asks, how are we feeling about Pierce Coppola? Coppola is one of the many players that Ben has in his backyard. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher out of Verona High School in New Jersey. Really big physical pitcher, six foot eight, 230 pounds, committed to Florida. Um, I'll just jump right in really quick and say that I've heard really good things from him. Uh, recently he got going, I don't, I think he's been going for first a couple weeks week. now Yeah. or he had some outing prior to his first start that people saw, but there were a lot of scouts in, um, at his first game. And we heard good reports from him, uh, up into the 94, 95 range, throw strikes with the fastball. Um, I think you really dream on him to throw really hard in the future. He's six foot eight, by the way. We should probably mention that. Yeah, I think I did. Oh, all right. I wasn't listening. <laughs> no, he, the listeners know. They know. He's six foot eight. But yeah, what do you what do you think about him since he is kind of in your area? Yeah, he, you know, actually, as I think about the last thing we were talking about, about guys who could like really pop up and surprise. I mean, it, it's not probably not a good idea to bet on a high school pitcher popping up and going in the first round. And I'm not expecting him to do that. But I could see him, like you said, he's this like Tyler Glass now sized left handed pitcher who's up to 95. I I mean, if if the velocity pops even more, like let let's say he adds like three miles an hour by the end of the season, which I think is not not expecting it to happen, but I I could certainly see that happening if not this year, then, you know, certainly a few years down the road, like he's committed to Florida. I mean, AJ puck is a six, seven lefty out of, you know, who, who went to Florida. He's kind of in that, you know, six, eight lefty throwing gas. (laughs) I could see him being that kind of guy like puck was when, when he was at Florida too. Now that would be a few years down the road. Puck was what the sixth overall pick, I think. So, I could I'll I check could see that really quick, but I could that see sounds right. Yeah, I mean, he went super, super high in the draft. So he was number uh, six to the A's. You nailed it. Four, yeah. So or just over four million dollars. Yeah. So uh, it's pitcher, pitchers or hitters too with those extreme body types. It's they're just so different. <laughs> um, but there's yeah there's there's a lot of upside there's, there's a lot of things to like I think he's definitely I think an arrow up guy who will be I think comfortable to say you know unless something blows up in the next you know week or two as some meltdown start or something uh, otherwise I think he's it's pretty safe to say he's going to be moving up in our our next rankings update no doubt yeah the the puck one is interesting too because I just looked on his his player card. Um, he was six foot seven in high school and was up to 93. So Coppola's, if our draft report is accurate, which there's no reason for me to think that it's not like he's already throwing harder, uh, and puck secondaries need a refinement in his high school report as well. So that might not be the worst comp in the world that you just, you just threw out there. He was ranked the number 85 prospect in the 2013 draft before being ranked as the top prospect in 2016, 
after he spent time at Florida. So I do think Coppola is probably going to be trending towards that, that kind of 85 range on our rankings, although he is out outside of that right now, like you said, we'll be trending up. So no, that's a good one. Good question. Um, Anderson Christopher on Instagram asks with an international free agent draft coming soon, are future deals for players still being negotiated? Definitely. Yes. So, I mean, you guys probably know this if you're listening to the podcast, but just in case, you know, the, the international signing date players don't just sign and come to an agreement on, on the date itself. And then there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players signing on that date and taking photos and everything there. The, the players are committing to clubs well in advance. So yeah, players for 2000, you know, what, what we're calling 2021, which is July 2nd, 2021, which is almost, almost certainly going to move back to January 15th, 2022. Those are, you know, a lot of those have been in place for long, long in advance of today. Uh, 2022, the same. Now that's, that's kind of the first year where we might have an international draft. So yeah, for, for those years and beyond, there, there could be international draft. All of this is subject to the CBA. Again, like we've talked about on the podcast, I think it's going to happen, but it still has to be negotiated between the owners and the players association. And even if an international draft does come, like would it happen right away in 2022 at some point, or would there be some buffer year in between 2023 it starts I, I, I don't know. And again, it's all subject to negotiation, but yeah, it's, it's still just kind of business as usual right now, I would say for teams and players internationally, but just with the understanding that everybody has that, okay, if international draft comes then all of this is kind of null and void, <laughs> it kind of all, all just goes away. Cause then we're, everybody's operating under a totally new system. So everybody is still operating as if because there could, again, there could be, there could be no international draft in the next CBA. And we have a, an international hard cap system. That's pretty similar to what we have right now. So teams want to be, and and players too want to be prepared for that. So it's, it's still pretty much business as usual, but just with the understanding that if, if there is a draft, everything kind of goes away. All right. Thank you for that question, Anderson. And our last question of the pod today is from Price Cowan on Instagram, who asked, who is the Texas Rangers prospect with the most helium heading into minor league play? Um, For me, I think I'm just going to stick with Evan Carter. And maybe this isn't necessarily that he's got like a ton of prospect helium and like scouts are blowing us up about him. But I think just the early reports on him once he got into pro ball were very encouraging. And the fact that he was such a, an unknown coming out of the draft makes him extraordinarily interesting to me. And I'm really curious to see if the Rangers got this one, right? Like, like finding out like why they took him, like what were the reasons they really liked him? Why did other teams not know about him? And like, if that pick, which at the time I remember talking to, to scouts and a few directors who were like kind of surprised by what the Rangers did. 
Um, and so if they were able to, to find a really good talent in the second round, cause he got, he got paid. It wasn't like he was some under slot deal. They were just taking to spread money around. Like they really invested in him. Um, that, that one's just interesting to me for a number of different reasons, but maybe not necessarily the most helium, but that's kind of the guy that I point to Ben. Do you have any players that maybe more accurately answers Price's question? Yeah, I think that's a good pick for, for the Rangers, two other guys who, I would say I, 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 two guys I really want to see and who I think will move up, although we already have them in their top 10, but maybe we'll get some more national. Yeah, Carter is Carter's outside of the top 10, just for anyone who's wondering. But if you want to know where, you can subscribe to BA and check out our lists online or in the Prospect good Handbook. Plug, good plug. Yeah. I would Becoming go a pro at this. Two guys, two Venezuelan shortstops, one Maximo Acosta who signed in 2019 out of Venezuela. So he hasn't played an official game yet. I have seen him play, uh, I think in like a Dominican instructional league game for the Rangers. And he was at instructional league last year. I don't think he did anything last year that would like elevate his stock. Cause again, he didn't, he hadn't had a chance to play in a real game yet. I think any, any 2019 international signing who came over for the first time and was facing what guys are mostly, one to five or six years older than them <laughs> at instructs after not being in uh, not seeing live pitching for a while for the most part got overmatched but really want to see him because heard a lot of really really good things on him uh, and and saw some really good things too after he signed and then Luis Angel Acuna who you may know from such who? Uh, families as uh, you, you may know such brothers as Ronald Acuna yeah, players uh, who frequently get cut on this podcast. Yes, yeah. Professional uh, baseball player in the Atlanta organization, I believe. <laughs> Might have heard of him. Yeah. He's, uh, and he has, a young, well, he has two younger brothers, one of whom will be... Uh, one of man. them might be a pop-up, huh? Uh, I saw him. I saw him at a showcase in like 2019. Now I'm trying to remember what year he is off the top of my head because it's all blending together, but... He, he swings a, I like just mechanically his he you can tell he tries to swing like uh like Ronald uh the 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 younger brother I mean but uh Luis Angel he swings like he also kind of has a similar setup to Ronald but then he just takes this like big aggressive like Adrian Beltre type hack <laughs> it's but but he also has really good is really good hand eye coordination really good feel for the strike zone he's a good athlete he's a plus runner he might stay at shortstop. Probably a better chance now to stay at shortstop than I would have said uh, after he played in the DSL in twenty, or after he signed. After he signed, I should say he did play. So he has played already. Played in the DSL, hit really well there in twenty nineteen. He's about five foot eight. He's not that big, but again, he's a good athlete. Knows the strike zone. Takes a very aggressive swing, but makes a lot of contact. And he's going to play somewhere in the middle of the diamond, whether it's shortstop, second base, center field, maybe a little bit of each, still still to be determined. But uh, I'm really excited and obviously really good bloodlines with Acuna. I mean, his whole family, like, he's from one of the more, like, underrated baseball families. He, they're also related to the Escobars, like Kelvin Escobar, Alcides mm-hmm. Escobar. Um, they, he has, like, another cousin, I think 
who signed with the Twins in 2019, who was throwing 94 at 16, Joseph Yabor, like everybody in that family can throw. Uh, former, uh, like Jose Vicente Campos, former uh, Mariner and Yankee prospect, he used to get up into the, the upper 90s, but it ran to a bunch of injuries. So I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody uh, or many people <laughs> in their, their family. <laughs> That's it's quite a, really, a lot of talent. Yeah. It's a really, really great baseball family. So makes it a little bit more comfortable betting on, on him, but, but just his talent alone is, is pretty from what he's shown so far. I, I think hopefully I, I don't know what, I don't know what levels those guys are going to play at this year, but uh, I, I think once they get on the field, I think those guys, if, if they perform right away, are gonna gonna keep moving up the the ranks. Well, awesome! You had a uh, a few good ones there. So hopefully, between those three players, Price, there's uh, someone who piques your interest. Uh, I'm sure if you're asking, you're probably already aware of all those names. But um, yeah, you're excited for minor league play. We're excited for minor league play. Um, but I think that's gonna wrap it up for the podcast today. This is episode nine. We are one away from the uh, very important double-digit episode number 10. So thank you to everyone who has been with us um, throughout the ride so far. It's been fun. Um, Thank you to everyone who has reviewed, rated, subscribed to the podcast. Um, If you haven't and you're listening, maybe this is the first time you've listened through and you want to give a review or a rating, uh, that's very helpful for us in terms of just getting the podcast out to more people who are interested in baseball and interested in prospects and these sort of um, longer conversations about the game, about the players, about scouting, all this kind of stuff that we talk about pretty much every episode. So thank you really for, for everyone who listens and to all you BA subscribers who are out there who are also listening. Um, before we sign off, Ben, is there anything you want to plug, anything you have coming up that you want the listeners to be aware of uh, or just any final thoughts? Yeah, Future Pro Pod on Twitter. We really like the questions you guys are sending us, and we got a lot of really good, thoughtful questions, which we really like. So, um, yeah, send if if yeah, you're sure how to send in questions. I'll usually I post on my on my Instagram story at some point a call for questions, so you can send them in there or or just anytime. Um, you can just at Future Pro Pod, and we will we will look through them and see them, and we really like getting the the questions that you guys send us because we get some we get some really good ones from all over the board so it's it's really nice to be able to have those too yeah definitely and and i'll try and do a better job of like tweeting out from the account when we're about to record because i know sometimes people are just inspired to ask a question when it's actually thrown out there like hey do you have any maybe i'll just give you access to the twitter ben since you're the social media guru uh of the baseball america staffers but um either way you can reach us there you can reach Ben at Ben Badler on Twitter and Instagram. You can reach me at Carlos A. Colazzo. Um, but for Ben, I'm Carlos. Thank you guys for listening. We'll, we'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.